Um, go Seahawks. You feel that? How about that Monday night football, huh? It is football season. How many football widows are out here? Anybody? Yeah, we've got a couple. Okay. It's real. It's real. Happy fall, y'all. Um, I have a few announcements for you. First of all, we are really excited to be launching our fall quarter of life groups. And groups are a way for you to gather with other people. We call them life groups not because you're in it for life, but because you do life together. And we all need that, right? In this um, world that is lonely and it can be isolating at times, coming together with other people to share not just what's going on in your life, but how to turn our gaze towards God in the midst of those things is one of the really really cool things and powerful things that we get to do together as a community. And when we just come to church on Sunday mornings, we're not as known. And so that is a place for you to be known, to walk alongside of other people, to invest in them, to love them, and then to receive the same for yourself. And so this Sunday actually is your last weekend to through this week. So you can Uh, fill out your digital connect card or you can text um, that word group to the Brickview number. Um, But we are wanting to get everybody into their groups and all squared away for the start that will happen the first week of October. So if you're kind of on the fence about it, dive in, do it. Um, We go by a quarter system, so it goes from fall to mid-December. It would be the commitment that you're making, and then you can kind of look at, do I want to continue with that? So would love to see you guys getting into groups, and, um, and so do it. Just do it. Did you see that? You saw that? Okay. Uh, The second thing is, um, next Sunday, right after church, we are going to have a lunch for those people that are new to Brookview. Um, The last time that we did this was one week before our last church service, unknowingly, when COVID shut us down. So we are excited for this opportunity to be able to gather together. Um, We are meeting so many new people, seeing so many new faces, and it just allows us to have a chance to get to know you a little bit, but also for you to sit around the table and realize I'm not the only newer person around here. Sometimes that can kind of feel like, oh, I don't know. So please come have lunch. We would love for you to RSVP. That way we know how much food to prepare and um, have available to you. Your kids are welcome to come to that. We're going to have a separate room available for them to kind of hang out in, and they can connect and make new friends or hang out with the kids that they're already meeting in Kids Church next door. So that is next Sunday, right after church. We'd love for you to RSVP on your digital connect card or by um, texting the word lunch to the Brookview number. And then the last thing is our partnership class. And that really is an inside look about at like how are we structured? How do things work at Brookview? Pastor Jason teaches the class. It's kind of funny, I realize. I'm calling my husband Pastor Jason. My husband um, teaches the class, and it is really, really cool. It is an in-depth look at not just the Christian faith, but also the community of Brookview. Brookview, and how we can partner together to do the more that we feel like God has for us in this world and in our community. Um, And so that is happening on Saturday, October 1st. And again, 
fill out your digital connect card, or you can text the word partner to the Brickview number. If you're just kind of like, oh, I want some more information about it, fill it out. Let us know you want more information, and we can get in touch with you. Last thing that I've been referring to is that digital connect card, and we love hearing from you. Um, we love hearing from you, those of you that are watching at home online. Uh, just let us know that you're here. If you have comments, you have prayer needs, we have a team of people that prays for you throughout the week, and um, we just love seeing those come in. Is it still summer? Can I wear white shoes? No. No. That was firm? Okay. I, I, I look okay? Because Eloise and I were talking, and we both wore white shoes, and we heard that you can't wear them after Labor Day, and we did it anyway. You know why? Because we want to live free. So me and my fashion buddy Eloise, we're, do, we're doing it. Well, you guys, this summer, I had a very strange encounter with a man in my driveway. Um, so I, I had just finished mowing my, my lawn and trimming all the edges and everything, and it looked good. And I was about to put fertilizer on it. And Jen was out trimming up the hedge in the front and trimming up the roadies and pruning it all up and making it look really good. And she was going to town, as she does. <laughs> but because it was hot, I, I sat on the steps in the shade for a moment to read the instructions of, of the fertilizer. And if you've never fertilized, you should know this. Fertilizers, they have different settings for the spreader, and it's important to get that right. They have different instructions for watering. Some want you to water before you put the fertilizer down. Others, you water it in after. And so I'm reading, and, and I'm, I'm wanting to make sure I fertilize properly. And my concentration was broken by a man yelling. And so I look up, and I see this stranger and his dog in my driveway. And he is a big, burly, bald guy that looks like an ex-Marine. You, do you have the visual? Okay, and he is walking a big, his dog is a husky, right? A manly dog. And, and I, I think he probably lives somewhere in the neighborhood. He's a stranger to me. Now, I didn't hear what he said the first time because I was reading. So he, he repeated it, and now I'm focused, and I'm like, he, he says, I don't know how you do it, man. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, I don't know how you do it. And I'm like, you're going to tell me my lawn's awesome, aren't you? He's like, I don't know how you do it, man. You're sitting there in the shade. Well, your wife's out there doing all the work. Say, I don't know how you do it, brother. You got to give me your secret. So I'm just sitting there with my fertilizer bag in the shade on my own property, and I'm like, what is happening right now? 
I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I think this guy is insulting me. And it was like inside out in my head. You guys seen inside out? Right? All the emotions are like, is he insulting us? I think he's insulting us. He's insulting. And I'm just like, this guy, this guy is going out of his way to walk up into my driveway to insult me. So he goes on and he says, I wish I had a camera to capture this. This is hilarious. You're sitting in the shade while your wife is hard at work. How do you do it, man? What's your secret? And then he, he just sort of leaned forward and waited for me to respond with like a smirk on his face and his stupid dog. <laughs> and you guys, I, I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm like, I'm under attack right now. It was like fight or flight, right? And it was not flight. Fight was kicking in. I, I, had this, I had this sort of rage surging up in me and I'm just sitting there going, are you freaking serious right now? And so I could like feel my pastor chest puff out and I just, all this was rising up in me. This guy's like, Popeye. Do you remember, if you remember Popeye? The red would start down low and just rise all the way up. So this is, this is what's going on. But I, now he's looking at me, waiting for me to respond. And I only have a split second to figure out what I'm going to say. And it was like I had a computer screen with all these responses, like 120 responses, just scrolling through my mind. It's like, like things like, hey, are you always this big of a blank, or is, or is today special? <laughs> or like, did you just get off your meds? Because you should get back on them. This version of you is an idiot. <laughs> Seriously, I have like all these, all these things scrolling through my mind. So finally, I saw one, and I was like, this is the one. That's the one. So I said, Thanks, man. My life is a beast. <laughs> and he sat there with his dog, and he's like, waiting for more? That's it? Just stared back at him in silence. So he, he I think he was kind of disappointed. So he finally just sort of yanked on the leash of his dog and walked away. And as he was walking away, he's laughing, and I'm hearing him like talk and yell back at me as he's walking down the street. It's getting more and more faint, right? He's like, oh, I wish I could get this on camera. This is the funniest thing I've ever seen, sitting in the shade while she works, and he's just like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> so I fertilized, <laughs> and then I showered. But you guys, the whole time, now I'm just like amped. And this is all I can think about. I'm fertilizing, and I'm just, ha, 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 ha. So I'm like, who does this guy think he is? So, right? so this is like, I'm just raging through the, through the fertilizer, through the shower. And then Jen made this wonderful dinner, and we sat down, and I was, I was so much better. But I, I've thought about that, and, and really, given all the things that I, I could have said, I'm actually pretty glad that I said what I said. And um, I'm, in thinking, in retrospect, I'm fine with how that went. I feel like it was a fairly Christ-like response to this jerkwad. <laughs> or, you know, I mean, child of God that Jesus died for. <laughs> right? But then I got to ask myself, like, okay, so was that somewhat mature response? Is that like me? Is that my identity? Like, is, that, is that who I am? And the answer to that is, well, sometimes but not always, right? I got a lot of junk in me too. So it really, it all depends. 
Um, I remember another situation several years ago. Brooke was probably, Brooke, our daughter, was probably about 10 at the time. She's 15 now. And we were driving to her basketball game, and we, she was playing on a new team, and so it was her first game with this new team, and so she had a lot of things to try to remember. It was fairly complex stuff, so she had inbounds plays and different offenses to be running and different defensive schemes and all that stuff, and I was invited to help coach a little bit, and so I was getting to know all this stuff too, and so Brooke and I were reviewing uh, a little bit on the little coach whiteboard with the hoops on both ends, so Jen is driving as she prefers to do, because you, you're a beast. Is that why you prefer to drive? Yes. This has nothing to do with my driving? Okay. So Jan was driving, as she prefers to do. And so I'm in the front passenger seat, and Brooke's in the back, and I'm leaning back, and we're drawing up plays and all this stuff. Suddenly, I, I hear honking, and, and I look over, and I see this really gruff kind of older man in a beat-up beat pickup. And he is, all of a sudden, he is glaring at Jen, and he races by, cuts her off, and, and, and he flips her off. And I'm like, what the heck? So what happened is he was trying to get on the, on the freeway, right, from the, the on-ramp. And so she slowed down to let him go in front. Well, he slowed down to go in behind. And so they were kind of at the same spot. And he just, he just went into like road rage, just flipped out. So he raises buyer and he throws her the bird. And instantly I feel myself like rage. And I, it was like out of body, really. I was like out of body, and I felt myself throw him the double bird. With I made my fingers as long as I could get them. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so I'm, I'm just about to set my hands down, and I hear Jen say, Jason! <laughs> and, I, and I look in the back seat at 10-year-old Brooklyn, and she's like, She's like, and she's pretty witty. She's like, wow, I didn't know you had that. I didn't know you had that in you, pastor. <laughs> so here, here's what I'm saying. I am capable in, in spurts of emotional maturity, but I'm also capable of bursts of anger and weird stuff that surprise even me. I am a mixed bag. Um, but we're in this series called Renewed Identity. And, and I just want us to recognize this morning, we all know what it is to be a mixed bag. Like, sometimes you act with grace and maturity. Other times, it, it feels like another person takes over. Now, my example is with, like, explosive, hostile uh, anger in a, in a difficult situation. But it really, this could be anything. It could be fear. It could be insecurity could be inadequacy. In some situations, I can act with confidence and poise and faith, but then in the next, I, I feel like this crippling fear or insecurity or inadequacy, and I just want to, like, hide from everybody. Like, we all have our dark side. The, the, the Bible calls that part of us the flesh, right? It could be lust. It could be mismanaged anger. It could be pridefulness, ego. It could be our eating habits. It could be judging other people and on and on. Another way of saying it, and, and you, really, you don't need to be a follower of Jesus to agree with this, but another way of saying it is just we all have desires in us that we need to self-edit. We're all a mixed bag of desires, and sometimes those desires are at odds with one another. Like, I, I want to love my wife, 
and I want to be connected to her, but it's also kind of fun to flirt with the woman at the office. It's kind of a, a hypothetical for me. <laughs> I'm just trying to relate with, you know, the men folk. Because, I mean, honestly, if I flirt with the woman at the office, I am loving my wife. It's usually a good thing for me to like flirt with the woman at the office, unless we're in staff meeting with Trevor and then it's like super <laughs> awkward. But usually it's her flirting with me and then Trevor's like, oh. So let me, let me start over, let me give a better example. <laughs> like I, I, I wanna become like Christ and I wanna read more and, and pray more, but I also just wanna watch a lot of sports and Netflix in my free time. Like, now, that's, that's not as hypothetical for me. Or I want to have, like, six-pack abs. But at the barbecue, my men's group barbecue last week, I want to eat too much of Joe's family potato salad. <laughs> you, you've had it, haven't you, James? Oh. <laughs> you, you, you should. <laughs> you guys, it's amazing. Uh, and... And I wanted to have all the different desserts that Mike brought. And I, I wanted the chips and salsa that Shane brought. And, and I, but I want, a, I want a six pack. But I also want to eat a lot. So I am a mixed bag of desires, and so are you. And in our culture, we're told, we're told this in thousands of different ways, that the most important thing you can do with your life is to be true to yourself. Yes? Question. With every single one of us being a mixed bag of desires, what is the self that we're supposed to be true to? Uh, and here's something that makes this even more complicated. Often, our strongest desires are not our deepest desires. Like in a moment where my, my flesh gets, is, is all active and focused on something, what, whatever it desires and sets its sights on becomes all I can think about. The desire to lust, to objectify a woman's body, the desire to gossip, the desire to tear somebody down so that I can make myself feel better, the desire to just waste more and more money on myself buying stuff I don't really need. Once, once my flesh gets activated, these desires are powerful. But when I step out of the moment, like when I step back from that and let things calm down, I, I, I get a little distance and I think clearly about what it is I most want. And those are not my deepest desires. Like, I don't, I don't want to objectify women. I want to empower them. I want to stand up for equality. I, I don't want to gossip and tear people down. I want to, I, I want to build them up. I want to help people flourish. I, I don't want to be greedy. I want to be generous. But if I don't learn to get a handle on my stronger temporary desires, then I will allow them to rule me, and I will become a slave to them. And Paul talks about this in Galatians 5. And this is an awesome passage about true freedom. It, it's a conversation about the false self versus the true self. And so we're going to camp in this passage today and just work our way through it and think about what this, what this means and what it leads to for us. So here we go. This is Galatians chapter 5, starting with verse 13. Paul writes, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Now, notice this. Indulging the flesh is contrary to something else. It is at odds with, Paul says, serving one another in love. The flesh is selfish by nature. It's about self, self-indulgence. So to indulge the flesh 
is to disable our capacity for love. Paul continues, says, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So if all I really care about is just getting what I want, indulging myself, then I will step on anyone preventing me from getting it. And, and we have all seen this play out all over the place. We've seen, we see it play out everywhere. We see it play out at work, right? The, some of you, 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 you just you live life in this like dog-eat-dog culture. Or there's families where everybody's critical and gossipy and backbiting. Well, what's happening? Well, everybody is just controlled by the flesh. Paul continues. He says, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Now, again, this is interesting, because in our culture, we say stuff like, well, the heart wants what the heart wants. We say stuff like, be true to yourself. And what we often mean is, you will be happiest if you don't deny yourself, and you just do whatever the heck you want. And Paul is saying, yep, not true at all. That can actually destroy you. And he goes on to list what happens when, when the flesh just lives unrestrained. He says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, he is not saying... If you do or have done those things, God isn't going to let you into heaven. I mean, that just completely ignores the healing grace of Jesus, right? So what he's saying is, if you allow your flesh to just rule you, what you will experience is not the life and the rule and the reign of Jesus and his society of people living into his vision of human flourishing. Instead, what you will inherit is sexuality that's run amok. Anger and, and angry outbursts and factions and fights and people taking sides against one another and criticism and backbiting and bitterness and hatred and addiction and regret, like a trail of just broken relationships. This is what it looks like when we, when we just live by the flesh. But there's another way. Paul says it doesn't have to be like that. And I want you to just read this aloud with me. This is verse 22. Very famous verse, yes? Okay, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Forbearance is, is just a really fancy way of saying patience. And I don't know why a few years ago the NIV switched to forbearance. It's not helpful. <laughs> so think patience. Okay, the, the point is, this is the kind of stuff that happens if we're led by the Spirit. Th th this is what happens in, in souls and in communities and in societies where, where, where the Spirit is leading the way. It's love. 
It's people rooting for each other and sacrificing for, for one another. It's joy, a sense of awe and, and wonder and excitement. It's peace, a sense of calm, just this, it's okay. It's patience and unhurried like presence in the world. It's gentleness in a culture of anger and rage and canceling and judgment and harshness. It's kindness in an age where we like to tear each other down. It's self-control and not just acting instinctively and flipping some guy a double bird on the freeway, acting like an animal. It's, it's faithfulness in a society of, of commitment phobia. And Paul is saying, this is the good life. This is the good life, but to live it, there's a part of us that has to die. He goes on, verse 24. Those who belong to to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, when you think about Jesus, he's inviting. What did Jesus say was step one to following him? If If we want to follow Jesus, where do we start? Well, Jesus said, here's where you start. Take up your cross and deny yourself. Which is interesting, because Jesus' teaching wasn't, yeah, just be true to yourself. Nobody does you like you, boo. I'm just here to aid in your self-empowerment. Jesus' opening line was, oh, you, you want to apprentice under me? You want to learn my way from me? You, you want to become my disciple? That's great. Like that, it's open to anyone. It, it is transformational, and it is, it is, is life to the full. So here's, here's what you do next. There's your cross. Go die. Not the part of you that, that's, that's who God wants you to be. Not the strong, courageous, kind, generous, gracious you. But all of the stuff in you that's in the way of that. It has to die. He's saying if you die to your flesh, you actually don't stop being you. It just frees you to become more of you. And Paul continues. He says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So throughout this passage, if you think back, there are four different phrases that are all painting a very similar picture. Verse 16, walk in the Spirit. Verse 18, be led by the Spirit. Verse 25, live by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit. These are four pictures that form a clear uh, uh, like visual of walking in or with the Holy Spirit. It's walking through life under the direction of the Holy Spirit. And this is how we crucify. This is how we die to the flesh. We walk in the Spirit. And we listen to that and we go, man, Paul, that sounds nice. What in the world does that mean? I mean, what does that mean? What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Are you walking in the Spirit, brother? Oh, yeah. You walking in the Spirit, sister? Oh, you know it. It's walking in the Spirit. What, what, what does that mean? How do you do that? We're going to get to that in a second. For now, I want us to see something, and this is huge. For Paul, the solution to the problem of the flesh is not willpower, but spirit power. It's so easy to think that the the way that you kill the flesh is just more willpower, right? We hear a sermon or we listen to a podcast or or some worship music or just see something in the world that's inspiring and we we think, you know what? You know what? I I, want to be a different person. I'm just going to try harder. Like just say no to drugs or porn or anger or envy or, or whatever. 
Now, Paul's not, now don't, don't get, hear me, Paul is not down on willpower. Paul is not down on, on trying hard, on effort. In fact, if we're going to crucify the flesh, it's going to take effort. But he's also saying effort alone is not enough. Human willpower is not enough to overcome the flesh. It just isn't. Is it needed? Yes. Is it enough to do the job? Absolutely not. You need something else. You need something more. You and I need to learn to walk in the power of the Spirit. And I think for many of us, we're just, this is, that's so hazy. It's just like, what is that, what? What does that mean in real life? What does that look like? And it sounds very mystical. It sounds like something that the average Christian can't do. It sounds like you need to be like a, a, a monk or a nun or something. Like, can you, can you just like raise kids or, or work at Boeing or Google or be a school teacher? Can, can you just like be a college student or a middle school student and do this? Actually, yes. Paul's going to explain how, and you guys, it is super simple. So here we go. Paul continues a few verses later in Galatians. This is chapter 6 now, and this is, I find this to be super helpful. He says, verse 7, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And I'm assuming women do too. Um, but Paul is, is writing to people who understood farming, right? They lived, they were, it was an agrarian culture. Sowing is planting, right? And, and, and reaping is harvesting. So what does that have to do with living by the Spirit? Well, Paul continues. He says, whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So if you and I plant stuff in our life to please the flesh, Paul says, from the flesh we will reap destruction. Now notice, this is not, he's not talking about the judgment of God. He's talking about the natural outcome of just continually catering to the flesh. On the other hand, if we plant stuff in our lives to please the Spirit, from the Spirit we will reap what the new, uh, NIV translates as eternal life. And I think it is so easy to completely misunderstand what Paul is saying here. Because in our culture, we're ingrained. When we hear eternal life, what most of us envision immediately is what happens in heaven after I die. So we assume Paul's saying something like, hey, so to the Spirit, and God will let you into heaven. Now, some scholars are, are pointing out that there is a, a much better translation of this. And instead of eternal life, we should really read it as the life of the age to come. Now, why does that matter? It matters because this is not all about future. In, in Jesus, the life of the age to come, this is the whole thing with Jesus. In Jesus, the life of the age to come is now available to you and me in ordinary, everyday life right now. And this is what Paul is saying in, in chapter 5. Love and joy and peace and forbearance. All of that stuff is actually available now. So Paul is saying, trust me, you don't want to miss this in your life. You, you, you want to be this kind of person, and it is possible. So plant well, even if it takes effort. Verse 9, he goes on and says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now, if you've been around church very much, maybe you've had somebody quote that to you. 
or pray that over you. And it's beautiful. That's awesome. You know, do not become weary in doing good. Um, that's great. But sometimes when people quote that or, or pray that, what, what they're doing is they're applying it to like a hard season of life. Like, hey, don't, don't grow weary doing good. Like, stay at it as a mom or a parent or a spouse or in your job or in the church. I mean, people have quoted this to me in, in being a pastor, and that's, that's fine. That's good. That's okay. But in the, in the context here in Galatians, Paul's not talking about a hard season of life. He's talking about our ongoing fight with the flesh. He's saying, if you're in the ring battling it out with your dark side right now, don't grow weary. Don't give up the fight. Don't surrender. Don't throw in the towel and say, this is just too hard. It's just too much work. Okay, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Paul is saying a harvest is coming. And this idea that a, that, that a person reaps what they sow, this is not, like you don't have to be a Christian to buy into that. This is not even primarily a Christian idea. This is just a like human condition idea. And in our culture, we have all kinds of different ways of expressing the same idea. Um, we say, what goes around what? Comes around. Like father, like, okay. You, you get out what you put in. No pain, no garbage in. Okay. So because Paul is writing to people who happen to understand agriculture, he uses an agricultural metaphor of planting and harvesting, sowing and reaping. Most of us are not farmers, um, but I think we can get this. Uh, I mean, like if you go out and you go into your garden or your neighbor's garden or wherever there's dirt, and you, and you, you sow a rose seed, what, what do you eventually get? A rose. A rose. If you go out and you, you, you sow thistle seeds, what do you get? Thistles. Thistles. <laughs> Sounds like I have a lisp. Uh, it's, it's, that's hard, it's kind of hard for me to say. Um, I was, man, thistles. It's, that's a tricky little word. I, I could have picked anything right there. I should have picked something else. <laughs> uh, so, so that's how this works. But here's the second part of it. If you sow a seed, like a, a little black dot or gray dot or whatever it is, in time, what do you get back? Do you get back a little dot? No, you get like a whole rose bush, right? Or a hedge of ivy or a cherry tree. Or in Paul's example, you get an entire field of wheat or corn or barley. Now, if Paul were an economist or he was writing to economists, like in our day and age, um, Maybe he would have explained it with a different picture. Maybe he would have talked about it in like financial terms, like with compound interest. And, and if any of you have ever studied this or you've met with a financial planner, they will explain to you the magic of compound interest <laughs> with as much passion as a financial planner <laughs> can have. Because what happens with compound interest is you, you invest a little money and then you gain interest. But then as time goes on, you gain interest on your interest. And interest on your interest, and interest on your interest, and interest. So here's a chart of how compound interest works. <laughs> right? With enough time and enough inter interest that's generating interest and generating interest and generating interest, like you invest a hundred bucks or something like that when you're in your teens, and by the time you are 60, you're Bill Gates. 
right? I mean, financial planners will tell you that, that compound interest is like the key to, to wealth. So at first you invest little amounts and, and time and interest then take over. And at first you, you don't necessarily see that much, but eventually the thing starts feeding off of itself and it just takes off. Paul is saying, here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, this is how you grow in Christ. This is how you grow in love and joy and peace and patience. It isn't just about being inspired one time and then trying uber hard. It's about making small, consistent deposits again and again and again, and then, and then just letting time and interest go to work in you. There's a theologian named Cornelius Plantinga explains it this way. No matter what we sow, the law of returns applies. Good or evil, love or hate, justice or tyranny, grapes or thorns, a gracious compliment or a peevish complaint. Whatever we invest, we tend to get it back with interest. Lovers are loved, haters hated. Forgivers usually get forgiven. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. And then he quotes the verse, God is not mocked, for you reap whatever you sow. So every, every time we, we sow to our flesh, in Paul's language, every time we indulge greed or anger or lust or whatever, we plant something in our heart that, that then begins to take root and grow. Conversely, every time we sow to the Spirit, every, every time we give in to the Spirit's impulse in us towards love or self-sacrifice or beauty or goodness or justice or whatever, we plant something that begins to take root and grow. But either way, over time, the cycle begins to pick up steam and feed, and, and, and feed off of its own energy. And that means that any of us are capable of unthinkable beauty and at the same time, we are also capable of unthinkable darkness. And this is just true of, of the human condition. And psychologists have been recognizing this for years. Like if, you, if you've studied psychology or just taken like Psych 101, uh, you've probably heard or studied uh, about a guy named Eric Fromm. And um, he explained it this way. And by the way, he was, he was not a Christian. Um, this sounds like Christian theology, but it's not. It's just a psychologist. And he writes... The more we continue to make the wrong decisions, the more our heart hardens. The more often we make the right decision, the more our heart softens. Or better, perhaps, comes alive. Each step in life increases my self-confidence, my integrity, my courage, my conviction, also increase my capacity to choose the desirable alternative until it eventually becomes more difficult for me to choose the undesirable rather than the desirable action. So initially, what he's saying is initially we, we make decisions, but eventually decisions make us. In the beginning, we have a choice, but eventually we have a character. So whatever cycle we begin, it, its energy eventually feeds off of itself. Uh, a few years ago, Jen's brother saw this in a way that just kind of rocked him. Uh, we were at a family gathering, and her older brother, Jake, walked in. And man, um, his eyes were as wide as could be, and he was just kind of pale. And I was like, Jake, what's up? And he's like, man, I, I just stopped at a gas station on the way here, and there was an old, creepy guy in a rundown car smoking a cigarette out of his cracked window. And he's like, and I heard him say, Jake. 
Jake, Jake. It's like, so, so, so I walked over, and you guys, I could not believe it. Now, Jen's brother had a really tough stretch in high school and early adulthood, and he used a lot of drugs, and he just sort of ran in a rough crowd. So he explained, that old, creepy-looking dude used to be one of my best friends in high school. But his, he's like, his teeth looked horrible. Um, he, he looked horrible. He looked 20 years older than he really is. He looked old, he looked weathered, he looked beaten down. But he was like, Jake, my gosh, how are you, man? It's been forever, man, good to see you. And Jake said he could not believe what he was standing there looking at. Because when they were young, this guy was a really good-looking guy. Um, he was winsome, and he was funny, and he was lighthearted. But what happened is he never got off the drug train that Jake was on in his teens. But Jake got off that train, and he's now been drug-free since his late teens. He's married. Um, he's been married for, I think, 26 years. He's raised three kids. He pioneered his own thriving business, which is very profitable. He drives ridiculous vehicles, and he has a bunch of them, and it's, it makes me feel fleshy. <laughs> so I see Jake, and I'm like, oh, nice truck, Jake. Nice rims, Jake. Nice jack-up jog. I'm on, you know, like, oh, oh, there's your Camaro, too. Okay, so he's, like, loaded. But he, but he ran into this guy at the gas station, and he, he walked into the, to the family gathering. He's just white as a ghost. And he's got kind of big eyes. And he was like, and we're all just like, whoa. And he said, he said Here, here's what happened. I just saw what I would have become had God not intervened in my life. I mean, Jen's brother, he just watched the reality of compound interest. Energy from a cycle, uh, a life cycle feeding off of itself. Now, I mean, we've all known people that have had addictions, right? And for somebody with drugs, this, you see this, it happens really fast. But it, it's not just drugs. Like, it, you can take a much more, like, non-dramatic example, something just like negativity. Like, throughout my life, I, I, I've struggled with this one. Many of us have. I mean, every decision, you know, we, we make to complain or to, or to criticize or to whine or to play the victim or just focus on the negative Every time we, we choose to do that, we become more and more and more the kind of person who is by nature negative and nitpicky and unhappy and critical and not fun to be around. And eventually, what happens is we begin losing our capacity for joy. We, we begin losing our capacity to notice and celebrate all the stuff around us that's good and beautiful, to live with ease and, and gratitude and wonder. But this, this happens for good as well. And, and this is why we can live with real hope. Like every time you resist negativity and you choose the alternative, it will become a part of you and easier for you to do in the future. What might be hard at first will eventually become natural. And, and this is what, what Paul is promising. He's like, you get going in the right direction and then you just watch what happens when the energy begins to feed off of itself. Things that you cannot do today, well, it's possible for them to become like easy and natural for you in the future. You, you, you can become stronger and more beautiful 
than anything right now you could even imagine. But what has to happen is you have to start the cycle. You have to get the thing moving. So back to our question. What does it mean to live by the Spirit? How do we go about walking by or walking with or walking in the Spirit? Well, according to Paul, it's actually really simple. If I want to live by the Spirit, I have to sow to the Spirit. Now, I once heard it explained this way. Um, in, inside all of us, there's this fight going on. And, and it's like two dogs fighting with each other, right? The flesh and the Spirit. Now, people who, like, organize dogfighting and take bets and are very crooked people, um, they have a, this old trick for fixing the fight. You guys know what they do? Well, you could. Um, one of the more classic ones is just feed one dog and starve the other. And then when they put them in the ring, it's no contest. One is strong, and one is weak. It's really simple. And in a sense, this is what Paul is saying. He's saying right now inside you, the dogs might be going back and forth. Right now, the flesh might be winning in some arenas of your life. But if you, if you feed the Spirit, if you just continually feed the Spirit, and you work to starve the flesh, you actually can fix the fight. If you sow seeds to the Spirit, eventually the Spirit will take over and that energy will feed off of itself and one day you will do easily and automatically what you are incapable of doing right now. It, it isn't just about walking out of here and gritting your teeth and, like, and just like, oh, I'm going to do this. You, know, you have to sow the right seeds. You have to feed the right dog. So let me, let me just close by highlighting a couple of ways to do this. Um, one is, we, we sow to the Spirit by organizing our lives around intentional practices. I mean, what are some of the practices that please the Spirit for you? What are some of the practices for you that, that, that you know they feed the right dog? If you engage in those in regular, consistent ways, you're just continually planting seeds. And when compound interest kicks in over time, you will generate energy inside of yourself that feeds off of itself, and you will be able to do naturally and easily what right now either takes great effort or feels like it's outright impossible. Like if, if you're an alcoholic, you need AA and a sponsor and regular meetings. Like you, you can overcome the flesh if you keep planting seeds, if you keep feeding the right dog. But it takes, it takes rhythms, it takes routines. And what you see in the history of AA is that many people have given themselves to those things and they have found freedom. For me, there are, are very specific practices that I know I need in my life. I know I need to get enough sleep. You guys, if I don't, I get really fleshy like really fleshy. I, I know that I need to be with other believers regularly and that part of that needs to include prayer and, and reading scripture and, and talking about it. I also know that I need time by myself in, in the word, just like to reflect. Not, you know, not just to like prep sermons, but, but for me to just slow down and listen and just really listen for the voice of Jesus. And so I... I, I read and I journal several times a week. Why? Because re reading and journaling will get me into heaven one day? Because God's like, way to go. 
son? No, because like it changes who I am. I need it. I need it. I know I need church. And you're like, well, that makes sense. You're a pastor. <laughs> no, like, I, like I do, I, you guys, I discovered this long before I was a pastor. Um, what I discovered is that going to church with regularity, it fed the right dog. It planted seeds in me week after week after week. I, I know I need to serve people in regular ways. I, I, I can't just have life be all about me. When I, when I start making life all about me, it, things go sideways. So I need, I need regular rhythmic times where I know I'm going to be devoting my energy to other people. And so for me, one of the great avenues has been coaching. I've coached basketball and, and baseball and softball and football. And, and, and then I've you know, found other ways to serve people as well. I've discovered for me that worship music plants all kinds of seeds in me. And so I listen to it all the time. I listen to it when I work out. I listen to it in my car. I often will have it playing in the background when I'm writing sermons. There, and and these, are just, you know, these are just like a few regular practices that I, I have built into my life. My question for you is, what are yours? And what do you already know you need more of? What do you already know you need more of? And what do you need less of? What is it in your life that is a regular thing for you that it's, it's, it's feeding the wrong thing? And my guess is most of you on, on both of those, you already know. And how is that? Well, it's because the Spirit is speaking to you. So listen to that and walk with the Spirit. So to the Spirit. See, sometimes I look at, at aspects of the a Christian life And I, I've had this over the years, just looking at it and going, okay, Jesus, I know that's what you want for me, but I could never do that. I'm not, I'm not capable. That, that is beyond me. But what Paul is saying here is, it doesn't matter what it is that Jesus, it's not beyond you. It's not beyond you because if you begin listening to the Spirit and responding and you begin doing the little things that you are capable of, you plant seeds that grow and grow and you, you might be surprised what emerges out of the ground one day. So, so we sow to the Spirit by organizing our lives around intentional practices. And then last one, we also feed our spirit and starve our flesh with just the little decisions. Like every time you indulge envy, or greed, or anger, or bitterness, you, you make it easier to do it the next time. But every time you indulge love, or kindness, or faithfulness, you make that easier to do the next time. The little decisions, they, they turn out to not be so little. So, question, and, and, and don't, don't answer this out loud. Um, just quiet self-reflection. Does watching Netflix feed the flesh or the spirit? Well, here's what I think. I think it totally depends. I think it depends on what you watch. Yes? I mean, you, you can watch all kinds of stuff that just sows to the flesh. It is available. You can also watch stuff that sows to the spirit. And, and that, that little decision with the remote, it matters. What happens if you make the small decisions to sow to the spirit? Paul says... But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Jesus wants you free. 
He wants you free from irrational fears. He wants you free from jealousy and comparison. He wants you free from lust and greed, free from the desire to control people. Jesus wants you free. And, and so I'll just, I'll just close by asking this. What is freedom? Our world says that it is your right to indulge every desire. But, but what if indulging every desire actually leads to slavery? What if indulging every desire actually leads to misery? What if the only way to genuine freedom is to die? What if Paul is telling us the way? Like, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And so I just want to say, if you're here and you've been, you've been wrestling with something, or you just, you just feel weak, or you feel inadequate, or there's some, some way that you feel like, you know what, I could never really walk with Jesus, at least not that way, not like those people. If it, if it feels to you like, like that kind of life is just beyond you, I, I just want to say to you, don't give up. Don't give up. Because this is not just about willpower. It's not just about gritting your teeth. It's about step by step moving into life with the Spirit. If you sow to the Spirit, even in small ways, what's impossible today can become very possible tomorrow. So where do you sense the Spirit inviting you to take a step these days? And I just want to encourage you, when you sense that, take that step. And then listen for the next step. And then listen for the next step. And take that step. And if you get into a cycle of doing that, you will be amazed what life looks like in your future. Father in heaven, I think about this principle in my own life and, and I look at where I'm at and there are so many areas where I really have experienced freedom in ways that I never thought I could. But it didn't happen all at once and it didn't happen by just gritting my teeth. It happened with little decisions and happened by organizing life around practices that feed the right dog. And God, I pray for, for all of us in this room. I pray that you would, Jesus, you would show us what true freedom looks like. And I pray that you would speak encouragement to all of us. I pray that you would help us identify the little things that you're asking us to do that we can do. And I pray that we would step into those, those things and we would take those steps with you and just, and just start the process of walking, start the process of going on that journey. And many in this room are already doing that very much so, already doing that. And I just pray that you would encourage us to continue to do that, to continue to do it in community, in relationship with others, because this is hard to do alone. So in any way that we can, help us to find ways to do it in community with one another. We need each other. We need your spirit. But if we lean into both, God, you can do extraordinary things. And I pray that you would. Amen.